0: The book of Numbers, chapter 25. In that book of Numbers, we are going to find that that verse probably could have been taken from this chapter, but it could be taken from so many chapters out of the Bible. As we just read there in uh, in that every soul of man by sinning merits everlasting pain. But thy love without beginning formed and fixed salvation's plan. Now, in this chapter 25 of the book of Numbers, we are made quite aware in this passage of Scripture of that very thing, that we merit justice and pain. And it's brought out several times in the book of Numbers. It was amazing to look at some of this passage of Scripture in the book of Numbers alone that people merited pain. Now, it never fell on any of God's children, but it did fall on those that he did not choose before, in Christ Jesus, before the foundation of the world. And it is so shared through this book. In Numbers chapter 25 and verse 9, In this chapter, just down through verse 8, the events that took place after Balaam had been, if he'd have had his will, talk about free will, if he'd have had his free will, he would have cursed Israel. But he did not have his free will. His will was imposed upon by Almighty God, and the only thing that he could do was bless Israel. And those few times that he was able to speak the blessings that God gave to Israel are so gracious and glorious. And then in the first chapter after Balaam's event, we find here in chapter 25, that the children of Israel are doing what is so normal. You know, the preacher that brought me the gospel said every message he preaches has three things in it. Three R's. I found out that he got it from someone else and that person got it from someone else. And that person eventually got it from the Word of God. But there's three R's. There's always going to be ruined by the fall. The ruination that came as a result of the fall is brought out here in the book of Numbers. And then the third one is redeemed by Christ. We're going to find there's good news for God's people in the redemption that we have in Christ. And then we find out that it is applied by the Holy Spirit. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So three R's, there it is, sum and substance of the gospel. Here in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, verse 9, read that with me. And those that died in the plague were 24,000. As a result of the events that took place in verses 1 through 8, 24,000 people died in a plague brought on by God. Well, let's just go back, if you would, in the book of Numbers to chapter 11 and verse 1, as we find that God continues to share in the word of God that justice, if it was truly served as it should have been, we would not, any of us, ever have been placed in that number. Nobody would ever be saved. But God is the God of grace. He's the God of mercy and he had a plan and a purpose before the foundation of the world, or no one would be saved. Here in the book of Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, these words, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the earth, or uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. In chapter 11, verse 33 of this same book, Numbers chapter 11, verse 33, we continue to find in the scriptures that we are ruined, ruined by the fall. And we have no help or hope in ourselves to ever get out of that condition. In chapter 11 and verse 33, and when the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Here they're not happy with manna. And God said, okay, I'll give you some birds to eat. And he did. And here we have the results. Chapter 14 of the book of Numbers. If you'll turn there with me, chapter 14, verse 35. Chapter 14, verse 35, the continuation, the continued story goes on and on through the scriptures of the problem that came unto the human race as a result of Adam's fall. And we deal with it in our life every day. God saves his people from their sin, but he did not take that out of us. He just promised it is over. You'll not stand before me in justice. You'll stand before me. Welcome, thou good and faithful servant. Here in verse 35 of the 14th chapter of Numbers, it says, and I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it. And unto all the evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Verse 37, Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. They came back and lied about the land. They lied about God. They lied. Two of them came back with a good report. The reason why we find in Scripture is they had another spirit within them. Numbers chapter 16, this continues on, Numbers chapter 16, and they're in verse 27. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 27, this is what continues to go on, and God was right in doing what he did. Chapter 16, verse 27, So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah and Dathan and Abram, and on every side, and Dathan and Ab- Abram, came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby shall ye know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, And with all that appertaineth unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking, all these words that the ground clave asunder, and that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertaineth unto Korah, and all their goods, and they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Chapter 16, verse 35. Would you turn there? And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed 250 men that offered incense. Chapter 16, verse 49. Now they that... Died in the plague were 14,700, besides them that died about the matter of Korah. And in chapter 21, talk about ruin by the fall. No man's life or heart is towards God on their own, they will not turn. It didn't matter how many times God came down and consumed people, opened the earth on people, destroyed people. Nobody changed their attitude towards God. It never brought about repentance. It never brought about change. We find throughout the book of the Judges that they for a season would seem to go along. But then every man did what was right in their own eyes. Notice with me here in verse uh, chapter 16 and verse 49 These words are recorded. It said, And they that died in the plague were 14,700, besides them that died with the matter of Korah. Chapter 21, chapter 21, and verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And then we read in chapter 25 and verse 9 that 24,000 died. God often demonstrates that he truly is the offended party. You know, the other day I asked a young man, he said he was saved, and I said, uh, uh, what were you saved from? And he said, from sin. And I said, who told you that you were a sinner? And he said, my dad. That's not enough. That is not enough. To be told by a man that we are a sinner. That is not enough. Who's going to really tell us that we're a sinner? The Holy Spirit's business is. His will convict us, convince us of sin. It is Holy Spirit conviction that is the only real conviction. To be sorry we got our hands caught in a cookie jar is not enough. To be sorry that we betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ is not enough. It is not enough. The God of heaven is the offended party, and he has taken that offense greatly, and he has shown how he feels about that offense, and if anybody is ever going to be saved out of that offense, then somebody is going to have to take the punishment for it, and that's the good news. Someone has taken the punishment for it. The punishment was delved out to these people. The punishment of this plague was delved out to these people. And the punishment, an eternal punishment, is delved out. But it will never, ever be paid for. It was not of human beings that we are saved from. It's not of human contrivance that we're saved by. It has to be someone that has the ability to take care of it. And we find that they're in eternity there's only one that has had the ability of taking care of this problem of the fall and the heart that is desperately wicked towards God, a heart that is grossly at war with him and will not bow, will not come, will not give credit, credit credence to God. God often demonstrates that he truly is the offended party. Adam's offended God and it was such a great sin and it has been passed on to all of us. We find that the, there is so much. God is, has the clear right and authority and power to use the plagues against offending parties. And he has throughout the scriptures. We find that very thing. In verse 10, going back to the book of Numbers, chapter 25, in verse 10 of that, we find something took place. Chapter 25 and verse 10, the scriptures share this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake and among them that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of my everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now, this word in this capacity does not mean that he was able to take care of their sin, It just simply means that God was appeased and settled down and he didn't consume all of Israel. But we do find that he is a beautiful picture of the one that truly can take care of the sin issue and truly give us a covenant of peace and settle the issue once and for all and bring it to a head. It will never happen from our side. We can never get there from here. It is never going to be from here up. We'll never find out that salvation is from us to God. We'll always find out it is from God to us. It is top down. He must be in charge of it. He must be the one that created it. He must be the one that carries it out. And he's the one that is going to consummate it in eternity. He is our salvation. We find that his very name, they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a promise. You know who got to hear that? Adam and Eve and Abel got to hear that. That is their only hope and only salvation was, they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was promised to Adam and Eve that there would be someone come who would be able to take on the sin of his people, take care take care of the devil himself, to put him away. He would no longer have his power. And this is what we find that the Lord did. If you'll turn with me to the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, we have this word again used in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6, we read these words about what the Lord, the wrath of God. Chapter 3 and verse 6. The scriptures share this. For which th- thing's sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, there is a, there's going to be a wrath paid on the children of disobedience. And this is a promise from Almighty God. It will not be stopped. The wrath of God will not be stopped. Now, there is something that happened. It's a discovery that comes in the gospel. There is someone pointed out to the church that has taken care of the issue. It is by revelation we learn that God has taken care of the issue of the fall of Adam as it was imparted to us and imposed upon us and imputed to us this fall. Someone is revealed to us that has the ability of taking care of it and takes care of it. Now, there's only one way that this could be taken care of. The wrath of God must fall on someone else. It can't fall on us. If it falls on us, we're done away with. If the wrath of God falls on us, it cannot be helped. It cannot be taken care of. No one can take the wrath of God and survive. Now, there is someone that had to come, and there is only one being that could take the wrath of God survive the wrath of God, and in so doing, pay the price that was due God. He's the offended party. There is a passage of scripture in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 7. In Ezekiel chapter 7, we have some words shared here, but they truly are meant with regard to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could have the fury of God poured out on him, given to him, imputed to him, placed upon him in such a manner that would take care of the problem that is between men and God. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 7, if you would turn there with me, and verse 8, we read these words. Now will I shortly, Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 8, as we think of this in a prophetic manner, it won't be very long. The issue will be taken care of. It will not be taken care of during Jeremiah's day. It will not be taken care of during Ezekiel's day. It will not be taken care of during Malachi's day. But it will be taken care of soon. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So when he uses this here, it tells us, now, verse 8, Now will I shortly pour out my fury. Now we just heard read there in the book of Matthew that the Lord Jesus on the cross cried, my God, and I can't put the feeling in it. I I cannot express it like it needs to be expressed. We read it and that is as close as I can get to it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, this verse of Scripture shares, I will pour out, I will spare, verse 8, now will I shortly pour out my fury upon thee and accomplish mine anger upon thee. There's only one that can take that. And it goes on to tell us, and I will judge thee according to thy ways and will recompense thee for all thine abominations. Now we're gonna read that this is the holy son of God. This is the one who has no sin. This is the one that is the righteous son of God. And yet God speaks about it in such a manner that our sins are gonna be imputed to him and he is going to treat him as if he was a sinner. Now, he had no sin of his own, and he had none on the cross. He did not become a sinner. He became sin for us. And so we find out, I will pour out my fury. I will pour out my justice. I will pour out upon you, upon you. Now, in the book of Romans, if you would turn there with me, Romans chapter three, we've seen God's fury upon humanity. Book of Numbers a number of times, poured out his fury. I cannot imagine what it was to have the fire of God come through a camp. I've never seen that. You know, we had a dear friend here that was in World War II, and his job was to carry around on his back a device that threw flame. And you know that man never got over that. That was his job. And he never got over it. How terrible. And we think about the fire of God going through the camp of Israel and consumed. You know, two of the sons of Aaron came and offered And God consumed them inside of their garments. Now, we have a Savior appointed by God, provided by God, decreed by God, gloried by God to come and have all of this that was due us poured out upon him. In the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, these glorious words as we find in the book of Romans so often and through the New Testament, through the Old Testament, the message never changed. We have more revelation about it, but here it says in chapter 3 and verse 25, whom God has set before to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, what does propitiation mean? There's a verse that we might read over there in the book of first, Second John, 1 John chapter 2. He's a propitiation for our sin and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, I used to argue about what that world meant. Now I don't even discuss it. That's not the issue. The issue is, who did he propitiate for? Now, if he propitiated, which means to pay the sin debt of, of everybody that has ever been born, then there will be nobody in hell. That is it. If he took care of the sin issue, there's no reason for that place. But he did not. He propitiated for the church. He paid the sin debt for the church. He's the one that had his God's fury poured out on, on the cross For his people. And here we read that he's a propitiation through faith. He's a propitiation for our sins. He's the sin debt payment. In Hebrews chapter 2, would you turn there with me? As we think about the glorious satisfaction that God had in the person of his son, that he would take care of the sin debt for the people, it was onerous. It was a stench in the nostrils of God. It was so terrible that we find out the only way that reconciliation could be made was the death of his son. Now, this is no small price. This is God come to take care of the problem. No man could take care of it. Throughout the Old Testament era, we find thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals were taken and sacrificed. They were a type and a shadow in a picture, but they did not take care of one sin. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Why? They're not of the same family. And a man cannot take care because we have the same problem. God brought this out even about the high priest. The problem was that they were sinners and they died and they had to have a new high priest come along and then a different high priest come along. But we have a high priest that has been the eternal high priest, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We have a wonderful high priest. And this high priest can take care of the issue, the problem. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, let's read this together. In Hebrews chapter 2, there in verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. All our hope is in this one. This is the only one who could take care of the issue. And he did take care of the issue. We know he took care of the issue because he's sitting now at the right hand of the Father. All the others still in the grave. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto humanity, his brethren, that he might be a merciful And faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Now, God had a debt that needed to be paid. I am offended. It wasn't up to here. It wasn't up to here. It was up to here. I'm so offended as a result of the fall that I have the right, as God Almighty, as sovereign king of the universe, to justly condemn, to justly send a plague, to consume by fire. Whatever I do is right. But here we read, a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. I'm certainly glad it doesn't say faithfully pertaining to a king, a human king, or to a church, or to a charter, or to a religion. He says, I'm faithful to God in this matter. And that's what needed to be, to make reconciliation for the people. Reconciliation for the, sins, for the sins of the people to pay the necessary price. That's what that means, to pay the necessary price. The expiation and removal of the sins of his people to have it completely paid in full. No charge is against them anymore. How glorious is the gospel of God's free grace that the sin would fall on another and that it would be paid for in another and that a substitute would take care of it and you and I would be able to go free because he took the curse upon him. This is what we find the gospel. Oh, we are ruined by the fall. And you know what? The only group of people I've ever found in my whole life that will admit to that are people that have been born again. They're the only ones that can admit, yes, yes. Other people, and even in my religion, no, I'm not quite that bad, but you know what? We're worse than we thought. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We can't measure it, we can't weigh it, we can't come to the conclusion of it, but we find out that this is the payment that it was made the payment that was required was the life of the Son of God. He came in human flesh for the suffering of death. He came in human flesh called the God-man, called Emmanuel, grew up among humanity. And you know what? While he was here, he's the only one that could look around and see each one that belonged to him. And he... I can just hear him saying, I'm dying for you. I'm dying for you. I'm becoming the substitute for you. I'm having sin imputed to me for you. The sins I will remember no more. You know, what a way... God was able. And it's just, it's another one of those inexplainable things that God could gather all the sins of all his people from the very beginning to the very end, gather them all up and impute them all to one, his dear son, On the cross, and as he did do what he said he would do, I will pour out my fury on this one, because he has all the sins of all my people from the very beginning to the very end. Now, Jesus Christ came long after Adam was created, and he, at least 2,000 years, he died before what we have now. So there's a whole lot of people that were not around during the time of Christ that he was able to take all their sins and He it. You know, just a, a thought here. Turn with me to the book of Luke, if you would, for just a moment. Luke chapter four. In Luke chapter four, we have an incident take place that reminds me of this very thing. There would be a gathering time, but here we have a group of unclean spirits, <laughs> saying, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? This is Luke chapter 4, verse 34. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, thou art the Holy One of God. Now they're saying something that in another place we find, are, are you here to destroy us before our time? Now these evil spirits know that their time is coming. It just reminded me of how sin was so settled. All the sins of Adam, all the sins of his children, all the sins down through time, all the sins to the very end before the last one is saved, have just been settled down in a ditch, and all of a sudden, they're all pulled up. Taken by, and they do not want to come <laughs> But God in his sovereignty pulls them all together in a big heap and places them, imputes them to his son. And there his son takes the fury of God, the plague of God on himself. As we heard, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Notice with me in First Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, these words are recorded that we share and relish and delight in. Second, or 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, we have this to be written, who his own self. We don't have a substitute for the substitute. When I was a freshman in high school, I played my only year of football. And the only thing I was was a substitute for the substitute. (laughs) I was so poor at it that when the substitute was pulled out and the real guy was pulled out, I was thrown in. Jesus Christ did not have a substitute for the substitute. He did not have someone standing in for him. Here we have, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. In Isaiah 53, we have that graphic description of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross As we have him, the Son of God, before the foundation of the world, brought and presented. And then we find all those words written four or five hundred years before they actually took place that could have been written and put in the newspaper of that very day. And Isaiah shares with us, He hath borne our sins and carried our sorrows. And you know, While he was bearing our sins, the fury of God was being poured out on him. We are so thankful that in John chapter 19, would you turn there with me? John chapter 19, we have these wonderful words of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 30. John chapter 19 and verse 30, it says, The fury has been poured out. God's justice has been poured out. The plague has come and been burnt out. The Lord Jesus Christ there on the cross, he says here, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. God's fury has been quenched. The wrath of God has been paid for. No longer will there be a plague It will be sufficient. It will take care of all. In fact, we find your sins have been taken care of double. It's what we have. Oh, to have them double. Now, that just means where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Sin has been paid for in full. Everything has been taken care of. And then we read in Romans chapter 5, if you turn there with me, as we look at that, passage there in the book of Numbers, it tells us that this man was given a covenant of peace. A covenant of peace. God's agreed covenant that there would be peace. And here in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, we have this is where it is. Therefore, Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be at peace, to no longer have that enmity towards Him, no longer have that anger towards Him, but to be at peace with God, the Lord Jesus Christ brought complete and total peace between God the Father and His children. He has quenched the flame. He's put out the, he put out the fury. He's taken care of the plague. Sin was paid for. It was imputed to him and placed upon him and the fury of God in such a way that even the Son of God gave up the ghost and died. Well, there were a lot of people in that day and time, as we read, that they didn't understand completely at the time. What happened? Some of them said, we thought it would be he that would reestablish the kingdom. We thought that. Well, so often our thoughts, in fact, we find the Lord said, our thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts that when we, we make a judgment call about the word of God and it's only on our thoughts, we probably ought to go to the word of God and find out what he thought about it. Well, his thoughts on the matter was, I have paid completely for the sins of my people and it is so secure that who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies He's the one that has been satisfied. God the Father was satisfied with the work of his son on the cross. Now they took him down and they buried him and for three days and three nights, there was a lot of people that were in consternation about what happened. You know, the people that had him crucified said, (laughs) we better make this tomb really, really seriously secure. In fact, put my signet in the mortar around the stone. That way nobody will bother it. Well, after he was raised from the dead, guess what they did to the people that were guarding the tomb? They killed him. Because they let him escape. They let the disciples take him off. Even the disciples, where is he? And you know, the angel said, he's not here for he is risen. What does that mean to the church? The payment's great. God's satisfied. He said, come sit down with me at the right hand. Make intercession for your people until the end. Because your payment was sufficient. It took care of the problem. I am no longer at odds with the church. You are my minister of the gospel. And so we rejoice with the Lord Jesus Christ as he's the minister of the gospel. He is the one that says, yes, there is an issue. And that issue is we were ruined by the fall. But the Holy Spirit has promised to come along in the word of God to share with us That payment has been made. And yes, we are, what he said about us. And that he has taken our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he said, I will establish a covenant of peace. You shall never come under the wrath of God. You shall never be in the plague of God. You will never face God's justice because it has been paid already. I love it when I find out my bill's been paid already. Time and for eternity. The bill has been paid. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, it's no wonder that Peter even could say, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the promises. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. We are dependent upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as we watch God's activity through the children of Israel, and oh, times it was a terrible place to be, but not one of God's children were ever taken. What does the scripture say? Not all Israel is of Israel. Now he touched a whole bunch of people that were not Israel. But he didn't touch Israel. They're his people. And justice will fall on Jesus Christ on their behalf. All right, Brother Mike.